You are listening to Comfortably Uncomfortable Conversations with your host, Devin J. Hall. We respectfully acknowledge that we are blessed on the land by which we gather, live, and connect. It is the traditional and unceded territory of the Coast Salish peoples, specifically the Kwantlen, the Katsi, the Samiyama, and the Tawasin First Nations. Um, as always, I'm super excited about my guest, and I've come to realize that the reason that I'm always excited um, when I get to do one of these interviews is that we're living in the middle of a freaking pandemic that will not end. And so I spend an abnormal amount of time by myself. And so when people um, graciously allow me to spend an hour getting to know them, I am very humbled and honored by the experience. This particular guest, I think I followed you on Twitter like five years ago, purely because there are not a lot of men talking about sexual abuse and trauma and mental health and healing. And Stuart Thompson has been doing that for as long as I have known him. You have been unashamed. You've been unafraid. You've been open and honest about your journey. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started. Again, uh, thank you, Devin, for inviting me to your podcast. Um, uh, quite honored. Thank you. Uh, so, my beginning uh, kind of started about, actually didn't kind of start, started 10 years ago uh, uh, when I uh, went to the gatehouse. Uh, I was a broken down man and uh, I was uh, living on the streets. Um, I was basically contemplating suicide as my, as my means of dealing with my childhood issues. But I uh, decided to do some more investigating and uh, lo and behold, I, uh, through the internet and uh, making a phone call to, I actually made a phone call out to Calgary to, Little Warriors, and they're, they're the ones who direct me to the gatehouse. And uh, I've kind of never looked back since then because my life has taken a complete 360 in many, many ways. I never thought it even possible, uh, especially considering what I was considering before I went there. So I was a bit only too grateful uh, in my journey to discover these things about myself that no one really ever talked about because I'm a man to begin with. And uh, a lot of stuff that we want to talk about, well, men just don't talk about it because of old beliefs, uh, whether it be uh, uh, from tradition, uh, depending where your family is from, uh, collective, depending where, you, where you're from, it, it could be all kinds of reasons why you wouldn't want to share what I share about. Uh, I felt it was uh, really necessary to talk about what I talk about, uh, mainly because I lost my brother uh, for the same reasons that I was at the gatehouse for to begin with, um, because... At that time, back in the, uh, uh, it would have been, geez, it's almost, it's been 40 years now that this has happened with, uh, to my brother, but uh, there was no talk about, uh, there was no mental health is what I'm trying to say, in regards to uh, like the resources they have nowadays. So to me, that's why when I said my last kick at the can was exactly that. It was my last kick at the can to try to help myself to get myself better because I could not find anybody willing to help me because I'm a man. Yeah. Uh, granted, that's changed immensely over the last 10 years. Uh, I've seen so much growth in, in, uh, in uh, people wanting to help men uh, with their issues as where there was nothing before. And, and this is all within the last 10 years, which is rather incredible, uh, considering there was nothing before. It's and, uh, completely fascinating to me because I still remember when soldiers would come back from Desert Storm. We lived in Calgary, literally yeah. across the street from the army barracks where they lived. And they would come back from Desert Storm and people would start whispering about post-traumatic stress disorder. And it was not something that we talked about openly. It was not something that you didn't like 
you didn't confess, I have PTSD from what I experienced in Iraq or Afghanistan. It was something that was very hush-hush and very much like sexual abuse and trauma, it was not something that was discussed. It was something that you talked about with your doctor and that was it and that was all. And in the last 20 years, yeah, there really has been a highlight on the fact that PTSD survivors are not just soldiers, they are victims of abuse, they are people who have been traumatized and yes, they are men. And there's somebody else that we follow uh, mutually on Twitter and I don't wanna name him just to protect his, his innocence, but there, there really is a difference in how you approach healing versus how they approach healing. You are very positive and uplifting and you, every single tweet is something that reminds people to love themselves and take care of themselves. And this other person is somebody that is still very much struggling. How did you decide that you were going to focus on pouring out love instead of letting the darkness get you? You know, I, I love that question. And that is a great question. And, and, and this is how I'm going to answer that. I'm kind of glad you asked me that because uh, relating to exactly what you're talking about, you don't even have to tell me who you're talking about because I see this from many other followers as well. But uh, and, and all due respect uh, is there for them as well because they're trying to get through what I went through, what we're going through, and many others are trying to get through. But what I would, uh, what keeps me or what put me on that path was, well, you know what? I spent a better part of my lifetime living in a hole. And uh, living in that hole has disallowed me to think of anything positive or to move anything forward. So if I stayed in that hole, how can I possibly move forward? How can I make changes to myself? How can I, you know, um, how can I make it better for myself and to, to whatever degree that I possibly can? Well, this is my way of doing that. Well, you know what? Yes, this happened to me. It's awful. And it happened to others. It's awful. There's, there's no question about it. But you know what? In order to make change for yourself, well, in order for me to change for myself, I'm talking about me right here, right now, is I had to go to that format and to say, you know what? Enough's enough. Uh, you know what? I don't want to live in that dark hole. I want to look at the light. I want to be part of the light. I want to see the light coming in. And if I stay in that hole, how can I make personal changes for myself if I don't get out of that hole? So going to the gatehouse and learning all these things about myself was really, really good. But staying angry as I was in the beginning when I came on Twitter did not serve me at all. It didn't help me move forward. Uh, and maybe it, 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 it helped other people understand my frustration. I'm sure that's the case. And I understand other people's frustrations and what they might feel and what they've gone through. I... I understand firsthand, but at the same time, what about moving forward? What's wrong with moving forward? Um, you know, you can be in a dark place, but at the same time, how is that serving you? How is that helping you move forward? Yes, this happened to you. No one can take that away from you. And frankly, I wouldn't want to take that away from you. And I wouldn't want anyone to try to take that away from me. But what's important for me is what am I going to do with that anger? How am I going to help it? Rather, how am I going to help? Rather, how am I going to get that anger to help me to get out of that dark hole? How am I going to move forward? How am I going to make other people understand that you don't have to stay in that hole? And that's kind of what I try to do. That, yeah, I lived in that hole for many, many years, like almost 50 years. And, uh, and it didn't serve me any, in any way whatsoever at all. I lost my younger brother, uh, uh, as an example. I've lost many other friends for the same reasons. And I've not moved forward. In other words, my hatred cannot rule my life anymore. And, and this is what I'm trying to do. This is what I'm trying to keep it out. Yes, 
It's always there. It always will be there. There's always going to be a little bit of that hatred. Well, what happened to me? And that anger is going to be there. But you know what? I, I choose not to let it rule my life anymore. I, I choose now to take it and use it as a tool, well, hopefully to, to help others at the same time, but to help myself in the aspect that, yeah, I'm hurt and I carry a lot of anger and uh, uh, I just want to use it in a positive manner now versus using it in just as in just as a statement saying, yes, that happened to me. So what now? I think that that's really powerful because, and I've talked about this before, that when I was gang raped, many of the young men that were involved in that, we were kids when it started and they perpetuated the abuse and then became rapists in their own right because they were trained yeah. to be rapists like that was they were beaten into submission as children and then um that they they continued the cycle because they didn't know any better and they didn't have anyone to say hey wait a minute guys it doesn't have to be this way and there have been quite a few conversations about what happened to me and what happened to them what they went through and I, I really have genuinely come to a place where I'm not angry at them anymore. I'm angry about what happened and mm -hmm. I'm angry about how it happened, but I'm not angry at the individual anymore because I recognize that their behavior was a direct result of the abuse that they experienced. And that has been a complete game changer. Talk to us a little bit about the gatehouse because I used to work at a church I used to work with people who were addicted to drugs and alcohol and who lived in, in poverty, who lived without homes. And very rarely did we ever see somebody who came back and was clean and sober and said, okay, I'm here now and I'm ready to do the work to help others. And it wasn't because they didn't want to. It was because when I was there, we just didn't have the skill set to help get people over the hump. Whereas the gatehouse, however, seems to, and I know quite a few people that use this program, um, seems to really be able to help transition people from living in the extreme of one end to living in a more positive light. So tell me a little bit about how that, that game changed for you. Well, yeah, again, a great question. Uh, I think, you know, uh, I've had lots of time to think about how this actually worked for me and, and, and one of the biggest problems I had even prior to going to the house was that I was, <coughs> I have a problem with doctors, any kind of authority and, uh, and medication, which, you know, hell, I even had shock treatment years ago just for them to, because I was suicidal and that was their way of dealing with it. You know, that's, again, that's another conversation all in itself, but I had no trust in people whatsoever. So for me to go to a psychotherapist or a psychologist was absolutely not on my table whatsoever because I didn't trust anybody. But for some crazy reason, I trusted the gatehouse. And I, <clears throat> I uh, what, what kind of got me interested in it was the fact that it was peer supported. And that really struck a chord with me because I didn't, I'm not gonna have a doctor tell me what I should be doing or somebody with that kind of level of experience of uh, mental health experience tell me what I should or shouldn't be doing because I really didn't trust them. I mean, even today, I, I trust them a lot more than I used to only because what I do at the house and I'm actually work closely around other therapists, uh, psychotherapists, and I've got to understand a little bit more about it. And so therefore my negative thoughts towards them 
I've totally changed. And uh, I, you know, don't get me wrong, I'm not going to go to a doctor first thing tomorrow and uh, go get myself checked out. But if I had to, I probably would. But the point being is that I'm trying to make is that I thought from a pure level, with me being having troubles with trust like I was, that that would probably be the easiest way for me to get myself in the door and to actually start talking about what's going on with me. And we talk about trust. Well, here I am sitting around a bunch of men. Well, I was abused by men. I was abused by women as well. Sexually abused, I'm talking about, when I was a child. And hell, even right until I was 15, when I, when I, when I so-called lost my virginity from the same woman that abused me as a child, took my virginity away at 15. So um, why should I really trust anybody? Well, I had to start someplace. And it kind of falls in place with the anger I talked about earlier. Well, here I'm going to go in and I'm going to sit down with a bunch of men and I'm going to talk about what happened to me. And uh, I have no idea how I'm going to react, uh, you know, whether it be physically or mentally. I have no idea what, how it's going to happen. But to make a long story short, uh, it had a really positive effect on me uh, because I was able to sit there uh, with other men uh, in the beginning. Uh, this was a 15-week program. And I was actually able to talk about myself and not be judged uh, just because I'm a man. And then, you know, adding more to the pile, there's other men around sitting me saying the same thing. You're talking about the same things or the same experiences. <coughs> and that was kind of like my, if I could put it in this terminology, it was kind of like my Achilles heels for moving forward and staying with it. So I found that in the 15 weeks that I was there, I talked more about my experience, you know, I, I talked about it in such a great level, uh, at a greater level than I ever talked about it in my whole life experience. So to me, that was that was uh, a pinnacle point for me moving forward. Um, still very unsure, uh, still not trusting, uh, angry, and all the other things are still piled up inside me. But for some reason, I decided to stay with it. And, uh, and the more I stuck with it, the more it helped me. And it took me a while to recognize that. And in fact, it, it, it took me going back to the second time to really, really appreciate how much it was affecting me and to the level that where I can say, well, hey, what's different about me today? Uh, how come I'm thinking differently about this? Normally I would react in a, uh, in a irresponsible manner to something that somebody said or somebody done as now I'm not. Uh, now I'm looking at it at a whole new, whole new perspective as before I would never do that. I would, instead of going from we're reacting to calm, cool, collective, as I kind of always put myself across to be in the workplace and other surroundings. But when it comes to my own personal stuff, that was a totally different story. Well, here I am, calm, cool, collective, now talking about my own personal experiences, which I never did before. And uh, um, a lot of things, I think the biggest thing that really helped me too was that there's no judgment there. Whether it be from the other men, or even in the future, when I when I did another program where women were involved, and uh, again it just kept getting more and more positive. And when I <clears throat> finally brought, when I finally, uh, when finally when women were brought into the into the conversation where I got to talk to them as well and their experiences, <clears throat> that really made a huge impact as well. So, to your question, uh, what made it easier? If, 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 uh, it would be quite simply. The fact that it was peer support, I had no pressure from the outside world, and all those beliefs I believed in regards to sitting with men or women 
are kind of just blown out the door. And it was so easy to sit there and talk about your experiences and, and not being able, not being shamed or, or, or made to feel inadequate in any way whatsoever, because I am a male, uh, whether it be with the women or, or not without the women, made a huge effect. And, and it, 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 it was actually my, my stepping stool to just keep pushing myself further and further along, you know, and, 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 and by doing so, now I'm facilitating at the gatehouse now after nine years. So uh, it's, it's, it's been a blessing in disguise. I think that's amazing. I want to apologize to the audience. There's construction going on outside my house. And my option was to not record a podcast for this week or to record it anyway. And I really wanted to talk to you. So I apologize for the, the excess noise. I'm trying to keep my my microphone muted. Um, I think that that's huge because what I hear you say is that you had the opportunity to talk to other men who went through similar situations. And when we're talking about the patriarchy and how controlling it is, we have to acknowledge the fact that men for centuries have not been open to discussing their sexuality, discussing their trauma, discussing their pain. They've literally, in some cases, been told to get over it and to ignore it. And that creates behaviors and tendencies to be abusive in their own way that they don't necessarily recognize. I remember a guy who liked to punch people at a bar. He didn't have to punch them. He did it to show off how tough and how strong and how scary he was. And when I look back to what he and I experienced as kids, I'm like, I get it. I get it. Hurt them before they hurt you. And it can be such a difficult cycle to break through and to get out. And so I really admire you because you are a man. And because you're saying to other men, hey, wait a minute, there's a different way. What are some of the things, um, and I say this because right now I'm writing a book um, about mental health and I'm writing it specifically towards psychologists and psychiatrists so that I can say, look, this is a patient's perspective of the medical industry and what I need from the medical industry to heal. What are some of the things that you need as a man, as a human from the medical industry or that you would like to see so that other men are, are more comfortable coming forward and sharing their experience? Well, <clears throat> first off, that masculine, uh, that, uh, that toxic, toxic masculinity is a really, really nasty thing. And uh, until things change, <clears throat> immensely in society regards to our collective changes to the thought process and teaching our young men, you know, how to express themselves, that's really not going to change because a lot of men, like as an example for myself, uh, 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 when I went to go seek help, there was not enough questions asked. And uh, probably in that time, there was probably never really much as far as, uh, uh, as far as, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, as far as a, a, a platform or 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 some kind of a, anyway, there wasn't very good uh, communication. What I'm trying to say in regards to men, in regards to how, you know, how do we how do we speak? Uh, what kind uh, like uh, like a conversation, for example? Uh, how do you how do you how do you instigate, or rather, how do you uh, how do you put across good conversation to men where they don't feel 
that with that toxic masculinity is going to step in and make them feel less than they already do. So how are you going to connect with that man, as an example, and make him feel that just because you're a man, uh, that you don't have to, uh, or, or that you you don't have to feel bad for saying what you're thinking and feeling. So I think once that persona changes, then it'll probably be easier for men. I'll grant it though, uh, today, uh, uh, sorry, I'm not trying to get long-winded here about this, but, but I will give you an answer to that, um, is that, that families are different now. Uh, kids talk, or rather parents talk to their little boys differently than they used to, has a long way to go. But as far as the medical community is concerned, um, I don't think that they, uh, uh, I think they need to sharpen their pencils a little bit more in regards to the conversation. And I think the conversation is wrong. How you approach men, well, an example like the man you talked about in the bar, right? How do you talk to a man like that who's very angry? And even if you sit down, make him sit down, a, a police officer was to make him sit down and he was to talk to somebody from the medical community and say, what the hell is going on with you? Well, well what, what makes you so sure that that man is going to talk to you uh, being in the place that he has? So language is a huge, huge thing. Uh, they need to improve the language regarding men is concerned because we have that toxic masculinity that's been inbred in us for so long, for hundreds of years, thousands of years, and that needs to change. Um, just because I'm feeling bad today and I'm around a bunch of men and on a construction site, if I'm not feeling well, well, I'm not going to tell them I'm not feeling well because that makes me seem like I'm a wussy. Why would I do that? That persona hasn't changed even to this day. You know, um, uh, I'm playing hockey with the boys as an example. You know, I got a, I got a puck in the ankle. Well, and I'm going to walk it off. I'm going to go back out there and I'm going to play regardless of whether I should or I shouldn't. You know, I could be off work for the next few days because of that. And only because of my bad beliefs, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to play hockey. Bless you. <laughs> I'm going to go out there and play hockey because of those, of those beliefs. So I think if I'm going to talk to the medical community, I, I, would, I would insist that they need to find a better language to talk to little boys and little men. It's different when you're little boys, but when you come men, it's a different story because their whole conversation and thought process is not the same. So if you go in there and a doctor asks you how you're feeling, well, the first thing I'm going to say, well, I'm going to tell them as little as possible is my point. Yeah, no, I get that. I, um, there's a chat that happens every Tuesday on Twitter and I, I always promote it when I can, even though I don't participate because it really did change my life. Like it mind blowing the conversations I was having because through sex abuse chat Tuesday nights on Twitter at 6 p.m. Pacific, I learned how to say I was raped. I didn't know how to say that sentence because nobody had ever taught me what it meant. And I was in such a state of shock for so many years that I knew that I was in shock and I knew that I was traumatized, but I didn't know how to say, I am traumatized. I am in shock. This happened to me. Um, in movies sometimes or television shows, they will have doctors take dolls and ask kids to point to where they've been abused. Nobody taught me how to do that. And so even as a woman, if you don't know the language, then you don't know how to communicate what it is that's wrong. And so for years, doctors would give me like, and I mean, from like age five, when it started, um, a babysitter's boyfriend 
doctors would give me medication. This would change your behavior and this will make you sleep and this will make you eat. And so I was like a running science experiment all the time with all these different medications, but nobody was addressing the actual issue of this little girl is not safe in her community. And that is what so many young men go through and men specifically when they're told, don't talk about it, get over it, not being taught the language, you react in different ways. And I think that the medical community doesn't necessarily acknowledge that behavior is a system or a systemic problem that comes from having been abused. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I, and I want to honor you and thank you for sharing your experience as well. You have a lot of strength in talking about, you know, about your experience as well. So I want to honor you for that. Thank you. Um, yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, uh, and, and you know, why it's more so for men. I don't know. I guess that's just something that's been bred in us for thousands of years and that's just the way, way it is, but we're talking about the last hundred years now. I mean, We've evolved a lot, but we haven't evolved in, in a lot of ways. I mean, uh, there's, we have a long way to go, uh, you know, not just for men, but for women as well. And, 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 and when you talk about language, you know, and, and making reference to, uh, to uh, my story, I told the Toronto Star years ago, and the reporter that, that interviewed me asked me, well, in my, <coughs> excuse me, in my statement, I said that <clears throat> I was sexually abused as a child. Well, she wanted to change that to, I was raped. So I had to think about that for a few minutes and, and realized, well, you know what, go ahead. Because really that's, that's really the, the definition of it anyway. Uh, I, yes, I was a little boy, but essentially I was raped. And that's the right wording for it. Uh, no different than what you stated for yourself. Um, that language uh, is so powerful. And uh, people don't, people don't, I think most people don't, or they take it for granted, or rather is what I'm trying to say. And when they hear it, either they put the cover their ears and just let it go, the conversation go through, or it hits them at whatever level that it does, has whatever kind of impact it has on them. Hopefully a, 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 an impact of uh, creating better awareness uh, toward the, uh, uh, the systemic issue that we have here in this country and around the world, but nevertheless, hopefully creating better awareness. But that word is so powerful and, uh, now, even when I am having conversations about this, I still use the word childhood sexual abuse, but that has a much more, well, that's really meaning what it really, really what it means. That's really what, what happened. Uh, yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's just like when you talk about suicide. A little bit yeah. Because rape, it's a traumatizing word to use. It's a traumatizing word to hear. It's a traumatizing thing to experience. And it sounds more vicious. And when we say we've been sexually abused, it's a little softer. It's a little less harsh. And it kind of takes away a little bit of the trauma of hearing and saying the word. But it doesn't change the fact that we have been raped, that we have had something stolen from us. And one of the things that I really struggle with, and I went through this last night, um, there are so many instances where I look back at my life and I recognize people that knew what was happening or saw the signs of what was happening and chose deliberately not to step in. And I keep thinking it didn't have to be this way. If somebody had just stepped in and been like, there's a problem here, Mm -hmm. maybe this wouldn't have happened or maybe that wouldn't have happened. And I get really angry about it. And then I start blaming myself. And 
even I've written a book on healing. I've got a four-year website where I talk about healing. I'm doing really well emotionally, but even, you know, even as warriors, sometimes we have those moments where we blame ourselves and it, it really does go back to that gaslighting of our abusers. Do you still have that um, sometimes? And if so, how do you deal with it? Um, I don't think I do so much now. Uh, I mean, as far as my users are concerned, uh, I only know one of them is dead now. The other ones, I have no idea. It's not like I really tried to track them down or anything of sort, but um, just for the hell of it. But um, I'm probably gaslit sometimes. Uh, I'd be lying to say that I wasn't, but uh, luckily for my, uh, luckily for me, I'm able to pull myself back from it. But yeah, oh yeah, no doubt, no doubt. I'm definitely gaslit by that sometimes. Because um, some of those things are, are still very predominant in society, and and I see them in my face, and I'm like, what the hell are you talking about, man? You know what you're talking about? How can you talk like this to somebody? Right? It really, really pisses me off, and it gaslights me, and it just makes me sometimes it makes never mind even for myself, but for other people, it, it infuriates me. So like, I just want to like, you know. But uh, yeah, no, it's your question. Yes, I, I I definitely get gaslit to that to a certain degree, definitely. Yeah, it's it's hard to deal with because we're supposed to be to, we're told that we're strong. You're a survivor. You're a warrior. You're you know like all these powerful words that are meant to inspire you and to to lift you up. And by the same token, it's like sometimes I'm freaking weak. Sometimes I am ugly crying in my bathroom at three o'clock in the morning and I'm screaming and yelling and I'm not doing so good. But then like you get up the next day and you go and you do what you can to alleviate the pain of somebody else. And you realize that yes, you are a warrior and yes, you are strong, but I, it has to be said that sometimes I feel like um, I don't freaking want to be. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I kind of kind of relate to that because you know, I've been fighting this battle for a long time and you know, I, I sometimes ask myself, well, when the hell is this gonna end? Yeah. Or is it gonna end? But you know what? Um, for me, I can I can make it end if I want to. I I, I don't have to, to do what I do to gate house, but uh, you know, it, I want to do that. Uh, um, you know, it's it's a very very tough thing to do, and I mean, uh, you don't know half of what I do there in regards to the things that I've done. I mean, again, that could be another interview all in itself. But uh, I'm so involved, and I, I want change so bad uh, to. You know, not just here in this country, but around the world. But I want to change so bad. I, that's my drive to keep going and, and not stop. I'm not a young man anymore. And uh, uh, I'm not trying to. I, I, th I think if I want to if I want to change anything, yeah, of course, I want to change for myself. But I'm thinking about our children. I have two granddaughters, for example. Right. I'm thinking about their future. And not that, but my neighbor's kids, their grandkids. What, what about their future? Uh, you know, anybody who's got kids or grandchildren, like, what about their future? Here we are, we're in a new century, or a new millennium, and we're still riding on colonial thoughts from 200 years ago, 100 years ago, whatever. That's all going to change. And if I have any say in it or any go in it for my time I have left on this earth, I want to see change. So if I step away from this, what I'm doing now, I'm not going to see that change. Well. The 10 years that I've been here, I've seen change already just from social media. People like you and me doing this every day, constantly, right? 
as were others you would think that could be doing it, or if I use that word should, uh, are not. And so, I, so I'm gonna stick around probably until I can't do this no more. I, I, I firmly believe what I'm doing. I like what I'm doing. It's also giving back to the community. And if I can see, uh, if I can help a 20 year old or even somebody younger not go through the same crap I went through, then to me, that's all worth it when they didn't have to, because when I, there was nothing around when I was that age. So there's stuff around now at that age. So, and we're willing to help to try to change that. So if we can do that and make change, then to me, it's all worthwhile. I'm going to keep doing this until somebody tells me to stop or, or you're told not to do it anymore. Then I'm just going to keep doing this. Yeah, I it's funny because again, like I do have days where I'm like, I'm not doing it today. I'm mm -hmm. not inspiring anybody. I'm not lifting anybody up. I am staying in bed. And that is the end of that. Um, but then the, okay. there are the days, there are the days when I get up and I'm like, no, I can do this today. I can be a warrior today. I can be somebody that somebody can lean on today. And I think that that's important to talk about because I'm, I mean, I haven't been doing this as long as you have. I kind of just came out with my story about four years ago. Um, and so I'm, I'm still in the process of doing the work and getting through the muck. And I think that one of the things that survivors, quote and unquote, do quite a bit is we compare ourselves to other people, right? Mm. Um, we spend a great deal of time going, well, this person has X, Y, and Z. They've got a car, they've got a house, they've gotten married again, they've done this, that, the other thing. And I'm living in my crappy apartment and my house is a mess and I don't have a boyfriend and I don't have a car and I live at home with my mom and three cats. Like for me, I'm, I'm happy with my life. This is what I want it to be right now. However, there are people in the world that are thinking that because they've been abused, they can't ever have a happy life again. And one of the things that I want to dispel is that rumor because you totally can. You can have orgasms after you've had, you've been sexually abused. You can have a sexual relationship. You can have an, an intimate partnership. You can have all of these things, but it takes work. Tell us a little bit about what some of that work might look like for people. Well, you know, and you're ever so right. Big and question, I, I hear this. by the way. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? Sorry, say that again. That's a, that's a big question. That's a, yeah. like a, a big, huge question there. But I think that it's important that you answer it because um, there's only so many times that women can say it and it would be nice to hear it from a guy for a change. Um, that trauma trumping, that, that's, that's awful. That's, that's really, really awful. Uh, I, I know, uh, it's funny you say that because I know when I first went to the house years ago, um, I, I found myself judging myself like parents compared to other people when they're talking about their traumas. And then I, then I realized after a while, well, what the hell am I doing this for? And then I, I had other people talk to me and, and had to help me understand that, you know, just because this person is in this place doesn't mean that you have to be in this place. In other words, you know, you're not that person. That person's not you. There's nothing that says that you have to um, deal with that trauma as good as they do. I mean, everybody comes from their own place, you know, um, you know, you talk about, yeah, that happens to some people where they'll go and uh, yeah, they, they've had all the stuff happen to them. And yes, they're sitting in a nice, they have a nice fancy car, they have a house and all that sort of stuff. I'm not one of those people either. Trust me, I'm not. Uh, I'm, I'm, I really don't care about materialistic things one, one, one ass bit at all. I really couldn't care less. If you think that, uh, uh, that, you know, that 
that you live that way better, then that's your choice. But when it comes down to trauma trumping and where your experience is worse than mine, and that, you know, that's, that's, that's really irrelevant. Uh, when we talk to people at the house, you know, where people are talking about their trauma experiences and somebody does mention something like that along the lines of what you just mentioned, we go out of our way to let them know that this, this is not a contest for one thing, uh, whose trauma is better than the others. It's not about that. It's about the fact that if you were brave enough to come here, man or woman, makes no difference. And I don't care if you've got that house on a hill and five Mercedes in your driveway, you're still sitting here with that trauma that you haven't dealt with, right? No different than that person who's had trauma and maybe not quite as bad as yours, but if it wasn't as bad as yours in, 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 in that aspect of happening as a trauma, then he wouldn't be sitting here beside you or she wouldn't be sitting here beside you talking about it today. So I really just like that trauma company thing and uh, I really discourage it that, uh, uh, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to come up with a better choice of words here, but I'm not doing a very good job at it, but you know, we really discourage trauma company and uh, because you know, what happened to you does not mean essentially worse than happened to me. We all deal with it in our own way. And if you feel that your, your, your trauma is not as significant as the next person, well, I'm really, really sorry. You know, that, that's, that's, that's horrible that you feel that way. But you know what? Your trauma is just as important as the person who's sitting beside you. And yeah. that's why you're here. And, and if it wasn't important, you wouldn't be sitting here. So, no, I disagree. Your trauma is just as important as that person who's trying to outshine you with their own crap that they've been through. So yeah, I would encourage anybody, regardless of your experience in trauma, if it's affected you that mad, that you that badly, that, that you have to talk about it, then you need to sit here, then there's obviously something wrong. There's something not sitting right with you. It doesn't matter whether, again, whether you're a man or a woman, you have every right to be here as the next person who claims to be had it worse than you. Well, yeah, you know what? It comes right down to it. Well, there is people who have had it out there worse than me, you and, and me that had it out there. But that's not really what we're talking about here. We're talking about you went through some significant trauma in your life that's affected you greatly on how you live your life daily, um, not just for yourself personally, around other people. So to me and anybody else, it's just as important as far as I'm concerned. So we never, we would never turn anybody away just on that or on, on that aspect or, or, or make anybody feel bad on that, if anything. You know, we're going to empower you to speak up more. Uh, so you're, so you feel that you're walking as an expert. So am I making any sense here? No, you, you completely are. And I was just thinking that like, when we stop and we compare my trauma to your trauma, right? Everybody has such vastly different experiences. I worked in a church where people were dealing with addiction to alcohol and drugs, like very, very hard drugs and because I hadn't acknowledged my own experience and what I had been through and what I had gone through it didn't occur to me that the reason that they were addicted to drugs was because they had been sexually abused for years as a child I know a story it's traumatizing for me to even think about because it's so the audacity of the evilness in this particular story is so offensive to me that anybody would do to a child or to children what was done to these people. And it's so bad that I'm not even going to share it because I don't want to 
create trauma porn for people. But I remember when I heard this story, suddenly everything about this person that I knew had made sense. And he never used my name. He always called me sweetheart. And I would say, what's my name? And he'd go sweetheart. And I'd say, no, what's my name? And he'd go sweetheart. And so when somebody called me sweetheart after I heard this story, I said, nope, nobody gets to call me that but him because he had passed away. And I think about what I went through and I think, no, you know what? It wasn't as traumatic as because A, I'm still here and B, what happened to that person didn't happen to me, but it doesn't diminish my trauma. So what you're saying makes perfect sense because I'm still traumatized. It doesn't matter if other people think that my trauma is not as bad as I am still emotionally traumatized by whatever it is that happened. And so we have to work within that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, sorry, that kind of made me cry because- All good, girl. It's just so unfair. Do you know what I mean? Like it is, I wonder sometimes because I'm very spiritual, is there a God going, that person's going to be traumatized and that person's not? Like, yeah. how does it work? Who decides who gets abused and who doesn't, right? And and when you don't have control over your abuser, it can you can feel really powerless and you can feel like you have no control over the rest of your life as well. Mm. No, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I... I one of the big things that I really, really encourage people, other survivors when, when I see them is obviously to talk. And, 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 and we always emphasize right away from the beginning that, they, that no one can come in here and, and make their trauma sound worse than yours. Because that's not what it's about. It's about getting together, sharing our experiences. And then maybe when sharing our experiences of, of what you happened to you and your abuse, whether you're talking about the actual abuse itself or talking about something that's helped you to move past that abuse, to me is what it's about. It's not about who gets the bigger trophy for whatever reason. It's not about that at all. Congratulations, and, uh, here's your gold star. You've been traumatized. <laughs> yeah, even, like, I mean, that's a load of bullshit as far as I'm concerned. Uh, yeah. You know, it just is. And, and, and when we hear that conversation even come up, we stop really fast, right? Because it's not about that. It's about your experience. You know, you're supposed to, you, we're here as a group to help one another. We're not here to put gold stars on, you know, on, on each name yeah. after the end of each week. Mm. Yeah, no, and it's it can be. Um, I remember before, like years, for years, before I really acknowledged, I would have shadow memories. I call them, and mm -hmm. so it would be moments of like glimpses of oh that happened, but my brain wasn't ready to to fully deal with it. And mm -hmm. so again, I didn't know that I was going through shock. I didn't know that I was going through trauma. I didn't know that I was, um, I, I knew I was angry all the time. Like people would ask, why are you so angry all the time? And I had a thousand reasons, but it never revolved around my trauma because I didn't know how to acknowledge that, right? And so mm. I really want to stress that acknowledging your trauma is step one but it is one of the hardest things you will ever do is to sit down and be like, I went through X, Y, Z because first of all, there's acknowledging that you went through it. And then there's acknowledging the horror of the fact that another human being could do the things to you that were done. 
And that is scary when you realize like, oh, okay, this is a really hard place to live in. Like the world is really difficult to live in. It's a really dangerous place. It's not just animals. It's actual human beings that are going to try and destroy everything about you. No, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, um, there's so much change that needs to be done. And, you know, this pandemic is going to push something along a little bit further, I hope. Um, yeah, there's definitely more talk about mental health with the pandemic than there ever oh, yeah. has been in my lifetime. No, absolutely. You know, you talked about the war uh, in an earlier conversation, you know, about people having PTSD. Well, people are getting PTSD just from this, from this pandemic. Uh, I have uh, uh, CPTSD. And, Can and you tell us what that is, please? Well, I won't. I'm going to tell people just to Google it. Just, uh, just, uh, okay. just look it up. I won't get too much into it. But, but one of the things that, that I do, uh, part of this with my CPTSD, is I disassociate. And that's one of the okay. symptoms that comes along with it. Um, PTSD and, and CPTSD are very, very similar, but there's some variants that, that are different. So I would, rather than me try to explain that for the amount of time that we have, I would suggest people just look it up. I often post about this as well, but uh, that's my dilemma as well. What, as what I've been doing is I've been disassociating. And uh, a year ago, I got really, really sick and I stayed home and I haven't, I haven't even been back to work since then. Uh, I've lost a ton of weight. Like if you only knew what I weighed before and what I am now, uh, big difference, but I just appreciated it. And that was my, that's been my way of dealing with it, but wasn't the right way. Yeah. Um, uh, I had to reach out from people, even in the gay house and other friends to kind of help me. Cause again, I'm a man. I'm very, um, I have a very, when I put on a wall, I put on a wall up and I yeah. don't you know. I used to even need to be urged to talk to you sometimes today, but luckily with my connections and having a good partner, all that's held me together. But I'm telling you, uh, with this pandemic, uh, mental health uh, now is at a level which no pain has ever seen before. Um, yes, you know that, that's horrible. Uh, you know, again, I can make reference. I, I can I can relate to what you're talking about. Their voice coming back uh, from Afghanistan and Iraq. I've been with my grandfathers fighting in wars. Same thing. They, they deal with the same things. Uncle in Vietnam. Same thing. Uh, <clears throat> All these things uh, haven't changed uh, other than they've got better ways to deal with it now with the PTSD and CPTSD. So I really hope that our government and our health agencies do some kind of a change. I got a little bit off track here, but I apologize. But No, it's, really it's, it's perfect because I've never heard the term CPSD before. And um, here's the thing about the mental health industry. Patients are so far removed from their doctors. Doctors are people who go to school for, you know, up to 15 years <laughs> outside of high school. There's an additional like 15 years of education, right? But I was talking to a psychologist the other day and I said, look, I need a psychiatrist. I need somebody who can prescribe medication, but who can also work with me through these issues. And she said, okay, let's talk about some of the issues you have. So I started talking about some of my experience. And I was very judicious in what I said, because I know that my experience is incredibly traumatic, traumatic for me, but it's also traumatic for other people to hear. Mm -hmm. And by the end of the conversation, she said, I don't think I'm the right person for you. And I hung up the phone and I realized 
that there are not many people in the medical industry who have the kind of experience dealing with the issues that I have because they haven't met many people like me. They haven't met many people that have been cult raped. They haven't met many people that have been gang raped. They haven't met many people that have been brainwashed. They haven't met many people who have broken the brainwashing on their own. Like I kind of, I break barriers, right? And I'm not the only one. There are many of us out there, but because doctors don't have the experience with patients like me, they don't know how to help patients like me, right? And so that's why it's one of the reasons that it's so important for me to keep talking about this is because I want the next patient to have it easier. I want the next patient to have a doctor who's like, you know what, I just read this book and now I've learned a few things about how I can help you because I didn't know how to before. Because if, at 15 years of education, are you really going to go back? No, you're not. You're going to take what you know and teach that to your patients. But if it's not working for them, in a lot of cases, what ends up happening is the patients get blamed for not doing the work. When in reality, the doctor doesn't actually know how to regulate to the patient. Does that make sense? It does. And, and, and what I believe what you're talking about, and I see this all the time now, is if you're looking for someone who's who's going to help you, whether it be a, a, some clinician, whether they're a psychologist, psychotherapist, uh, whatever, uh, when you're looking for them now, the term people are using is, are they trauma-informed? Yes. yes, they have that 15 years, but are they trauma-informed? And yeah. and as an example, as your example, that that uh, that 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 uh, psychotherapist or psychologist is probably not trauma-informed. No, so I, I, I had one who turned around and she was like, I want you to hug your feelings. And I looked at her and I was like, lady, I work in downtown Surrey, British Columbia with some of the roughest drug addicted personality types you will find in the country. Mm-hmm. If I told them to hug their feelings, they would smack me. Now, 10 years later, I understand what that means. But at the time I was like, what the hell are you talking about? Hug my feelings. What does that even mean? Right? And so again, if you're not informed, if the patient and the doctor are not on the same page, how can they help each other? Exactly. Yeah, because it has to be a two-way streak. And I, I yeah. see this all the time, even on social media, where where people are battling with their with their uh, with their clinicians uh, because there's a misunderstanding or they weren't trauma-informed, as I just pointed out. And they're not even on the same path. So, you know, when people ask me about, well, okay, I want to seek help. Well, I'm probably not the best example because I haven't been to one in many, many years for my own reasons, but I still work around them with what I do at the gatehouse and uh, uh, quite familiar with what's going on now. And I would highly recommend that if you are going to go see a psychotherapist or a psychologist, that you do your research on that doctor and see if they are trauma-informed or just maybe if they're not trauma-informed, ask them if they have any experience in this, even before you have even give your story yeah. to save you trouble, right? So when you're seeking out medical help, do your research. Do your research because if you don't, from some of the experiences I've seen, even on Twitter, for example, are going to go downhill and it'll make you feel worse than you already do. And that's not helping you at all. You're trying to help yourself, but how can you help yourself if the help you're seeking to get help from can't help you because... They don't have, and they're supposed to be qualified. <laughs> they're supposed to be qualified. They don't have a bloody but clue by what's whose going standards, on. But by whose standards yeah. are they qualified? Because at the end of the day, like, let's be honest, 
the conversation about rape, sexual abuse, molestation, trauma, PTSD due to all of these issues has only really been happening for the last 10 years. Which means that doctors or psychologists or psychiatrists who have been in the mental health or medical industry for 30 years don't have experience necessarily with the new words and the new language. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So if you have to explain to them, this is what PTSD looks like for somebody who's been sexually abused because they've never experienced that before. You're not helping yourself. You're educating your doctor for free and you're paying them so you can educate them instead of them paying you to be educated. So you kind of get screwed on two fronts and it can be overwhelming and it can be exhausting and it can end up with you triggering yourself. And that's my concern. Because I know, uh, uh, you know, it's been, well, it's been 40 years anyway, around 40 years. Uh, I was living in Nova Scotia. I was living in Halifax, just outside of Halifax at the time. And I remember going to school. I was in high school at the time and I was a cutter. My mother took me to the doctor. And I, I remember this conversation vividly as it was yesterday. Well, I talked to the doctor or the child psychologist at the time and, and in Halifax. And there really wasn't much of a conversation. You know what the conversation was? Uh, him writing out a prescription, or her writing, him or her, I'm sorry, him writing out a prescription, giving it to my mother. And they put me on, I don't know what it was, Prenosol or Diazepam. I'm not sure what it was at the time, but. They put me on that, and that's how that's how they dealt with it. Yeah, they didn't even talk to me. Okay, yeah. I'm a cutter. Why, why am I cutting at this uh, at 12 years of age? They don't even ask the question. No. Yeah, yeah. There's I used to fall all the time and bruise myself, yeah. and I would fall down the stairs, and nobody said, "Well, why are you hurting yourself?" And I didn't think about it at the time, but it was because I was hurting, and I needed my physical pain to match my emotional pain. But nobody ever said. Why? They would ask me, what's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. And I didn't have an answer because I didn't know that I didn't know. Mm-hmm. So if you don't know, how can you say, right? Yeah, and exactly. it, it becomes this cycle of, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to say it. I don't know who to say it to. Because in a lot of, like, who can you trust? at the Teachers, preachers, um, doctors, any and every one of them can be an abuser. And they protect each other. Yeah, they do. And so it's like, how do you, how do you get out of that cycle when you're 12 years old and you're cutting, when you don't necessarily trust your mom, your doctor's not asking you what's going on, but they're giving you medication. Medication is not going to make you stop cutting yourself. Like that makes me so angry on your behalf because medication is not going to stop you from hurting yourself when you are an emotional cutter. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And, and, you know, it's funny, you know, after, even after all these years, I've never, ever really, really talked about that to any degree whatsoever. I, I know I've acknowledged it. I've talked about it only just in general conversation. Now, I have the scars to prove it. And I say, I can, I can roll my arm and my sleeve and show you. After all these years, those scars are still there to show you, well, this is what you don't want to do, right? Uh, nowadays, I mean, kids still do it. And grownups even do it, right? It's horrible. You know, this is how we deal with, this is how we dealt with our pain because we didn't know any other way. I will say that I have scars on my body, not from cutting specifically, Mm. but um, I do have scars on my body that represent my moments of abuse. 
and they are there deliberately so that I would not forget. Um, but I will say getting tattoos was like a total game changer that mm -hmm. changed my life because I still got the pain and I still got to say like, when I got this tattoo, actually mm -hmm. my witch, the audience can't see it, but Stuart kind of can. I started yeah. crying and the artist pulled his arm away and he's like, what's wrong? What did I do? Are you okay? What's going on with you? And I was like, I feel like myself. And he goes, Oh my God, you're one of those. And I didn't know what he meant at the time. And then I realized that getting tattoos was my way of cutting. It was my way of, I didn't want to just take a blade and cut my skin anymore or hurt myself anymore. Um, getting tattoos was me really like, I still got the physical pain, but I also got something pretty out of it at the end of the day. Mm, and that was a complete game changer right? Because I have all my ugly scars, don't get me wrong, and I love them because they remind me that, like, they're my battle wounds, but my tattoos are reminders, too, that I survived, and that was huge. So I kind of understand a little bit. Mm. Well, that's good that you you felt, you dealt with it in that manner, right? right? That's, that's awesome. I got lucky, though, because I have a lot of really amazing tattoo artist friends, and mm. not everybody can afford tattoos. Like I used to say, I have to budget for my tattoos. And people are like, well, that's so stupid. I have to budget for food. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. Budgeting for my tattoos is budgeting for my mental health. Mm. It's like, it's, it's, you know, yeah, right. It's, it's because so much happens when you're getting a tattoo. So mm. much. It's not just the tattoo, it's the bonding with the artist. It's why did you get this piece? What does it remind you? I feel like tattoo artists are more in tune with their clients than doctors are with their patients. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, Anyways, that's awesome. I, I really have loved getting to know you and you are, I do have one question um, that I, I wanted to ask because on Twitter, you call yourself the Unforgiven Warrior. Mm -hmm. Can I ask where that comes from? Well, that was me in the beginning when I came on Twitter. That I, I was I I I, I was unforgiven. I'm unforgiven towards my users. I, I was unforgiven towards myself. I was unforgiven about a lot of things, in uh, in in that sense of using those words. But that's basically where it came from. Uh, I uh, I was a very very angry individual and. Uh, Watch too many Clint Eastwood movies. <laughs> you know, way too many Clint Eastwood movies. So I can't exactly behave like that in that manner and, and go and save the day on my on my. But it's big, fun uh, to fantasize about, isn't it? Oh, it is great to fantasize about it. But, <laughs> I have, and I, have and like, I don't go to jail for it either. <laughs> right. Yeah. I I say that I am a writer today because I was abused because I have all these very very twisted plot lines with murders and like. And, and viciousness and evilness. And I just keep thinking, thank God I'm a writer because I have somewhere to put it all. Because I can't do it in real life. You know, I, I finally only in the last year or so, I finally put my full name up there as well. But uh, I thought it was catchy and it suited my, you know, what I was feeling at the time. And it's and it served me. And I, I really, I don't think I'm going to take that off there because then somebody else would take it. But uh so that's only because it's it's because I've noticed other people have gotten it, but it's the words the same as mine. So I was really the original boy that got it that way. So I kind of want to keep it, right? Yeah. But uh, 
I, I want people to know who I am. So I have put my name up there. Uh, you know, even on my bio, my name is there. Uh, if you want to find me, I, I, you know, find me through the gatehouse, thegatehouse.org. Uh, uh, there's lots of stuff in there with me in there as well, because I've been around for a little while. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not so unforgiven now. Uh, I, I'm probably, I'm not, I'm not so forgiving towards my abusers, but it's more about forgiving myself, uh, about forgiving myself and moving forward. And, and me coming across as the unforgiven has allowed me to do so. Uh, just not everybody knows that unless you talk to me like you are right now and people dealing with me at the house and, and whoever deals with me on a personal level that knows my story will know that I'm a lot more forgiving now than I was 10 years ago. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, again, I want to thank you for coming out and sharing your story and not, not just on the podcast, but on Twitter and, and your work with Gatehouse because I, I got up at an NA meeting once and I was like, part of the reason I'm here is because I don't see people succeeding after they come to me and it is so heartbreaking to me to put so much effort into trying to help people heal and then watching them relapse. And so to see people like yourself and others who are sharing their stories and who are sharing their successes and sharing their light and showing other people that it can be done is massive to me because I look at you and I think, well, if he can do it, then I can do it. And maybe what I do looks differently but we still end up in a place where we're both very happy with our lives and how things turned out. I'm all for it. So thank you so much, Stuart, for all the work that you've done in yourself, because it really does help others. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Would you mind if I do a little plug here while I'm here? While I'm here no, well? not at all. I was just going to ask you um, where people can find you on social media and where they can get in touch with you if they want more information. Well, I might like myself. I like you. Uh, do I, I do a podcast as well? I've been doing it. That'll be seven years come in May, and uh, I'm almost I've got my 200th podcast. Yahoo. Congratulations! Thank you. And uh, another thing, I, I, I uh, well, you can find uh, actually, I'm on. Uh, uh, actually, you go to Blog Talk uh, Radio uh, uh, forward slash Personal Transformation. You can find me there. I'm on Spotify, uh, Personal Transformation. Uh, you can also find me on, uh, well, there's no more, uh, there's no more uh, uh, Periscope now. That's gone, but it's just Twitter Live, uh, Facebook, and also YouTube. You will find me as well, Personal Transformation, uh, link to the Gatehouse. And I'll and put all the links in the show notes too, so people can find you. Oh, that's great. Thank you. And also, I, I, I want to, uh, I really want to give us a little quick plug as well. Uh, on Sunday at 1030 in the morning, uh, it's Eastern Standard Time, um, I'm going to be sitting with uh, Voice of Men 360. Uh, .org. If you were to uh, if you were to Google voiceofmen.360.org, uh, you'll see what the organization is all about. So I'm going to be going in there on uh, on uh, on Saturday on Sunday morning, I should say, uh, with Sabine, and we're going to be talking about toxic masculinity. So awesome. this organization, uh, I, I'm not going to get too long much into it, but if you Google it and find the organization, you'll see what they do to help people um, uh, throughout actually Canada and the world, and. Uh, that I'm going to be doing that this Sunday. So I really appreciate you taking the time out, Devin, to sit down with me and talk to me about uh, about my experiences. And again, I, I want to commend you as well. Thank you uh, for what you're doing for the community as well. Uh, uh, there's not enough of us doing that. And I want to thank you for doing what you do as well. It's very, very important. Well, I appreciate that. And I think that, um, again, if we're going to stop the stigma of victimhood and being victims 
then we we as survivors really need to have our voices heard. And we need to make sure that we are the ones to change the medical community. Because a lot of times people are intimidated by the amount of education that doctors have or the papers on the wall that say this person went to that school or this school or whatever. And I promise you that does not guarantee that they know how to heal all your problems. They don't. Yeah. Well, I know yeah. after going to the school of hard knocks, I've yet to find a doctor to help me. So that sounds I kind mean, of, uh, they just, negative, they don't, but, they uh, can't, how do you relate? How do you relate when you've yeah. had a privileged life and you've gone off to college and university and then you meet somebody that's been homeless and hungry and addicted mm -hmm. to drugs and lived in poverty and been abused their whole lives. How do you relate to that? Right. And so that's why what we do is so important. Um, because there are men that are going to listen to this and go, okay, maybe I'm going to go to the gatehouse. Maybe I'm going to go talk to Stuart. Maybe I'm going to go find somebody else that I can talk to. And that's the purpose of, of what we do. You're absolutely right. And the gatehouse, for example, now the gatehouse.org. Now we are doing zoom groups now all across Canada, but everything's all done by zoom now because of the pandemic. So this is kind of a new thing that, that we've done before. I mean, we've done the Skype thing before, but now it's zoom. And now we're able to get out to communities where we never were able to go before because I remember even when I first started the gatehouse 11 years ago, no, 10 years ago, I should say, my facilitator used to drive two hours just to come to do this group, right? And I know participants that have done the same thing. They'll drive three hours just to come and do a group. Now with the internet and provide you have a good service, you can stay home and do this now. So it gives a, gives a much greater chance for anybody living in remote areas now to actually get help for themselves. I have a friend who um, is a member of the gatehouse and I will not say who, That's all good. but I, I was laughing at her the other day because she's like, she worked really hard to get into the gatehouse. Mm -hmm. And then she got there and she started doing the program and she was like, I fucking hate this. And I said, what do you mean? And she says, I'm healing, but it's hard. And I went, well, yeah, you're ripping open scabs and like yeah. re-suturing the, the pain and whatever. And she's like, I don't like it. And I said, but is it working? And she goes, well, yeah. And I said, all right, then shut up. <laughs> <laughs> like, what do you want? So, I mean, there you go. Like, I, I love that she's using the gatehouse because I heard about it first from you and I never talked to her about it. I didn't recommend it to her. She happens to live in Toronto. She happens to have heard of what you guys do, happened to have gotten involved, and it happens to be working for her. And I just awesome. think that that's really cool because it proves that what you're doing works. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's a shame that we're the only one like it in Canada. Yeah. I mean, if y'all want to come over to British Columbia, we, we would love you know, to have you. Years ago, I talked to a lady. Uh, I, I, I don't know how much longer you can go on, but years ago, I, I, I talked to a lady. I'll make this quick. I talked to a lady that lived in BC. I won't say where. I won't say her name, but she used to call me once a week at the gatehouse. And I thought that was so awesome. She didn't have any other means of, 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 of getting help, not even in BC. So she used to call me at, the, at, at, at and actually my director. And I talk about this from time to time. And you remember when she used to call me at the gatehouse? I used to be, uh, I thought I was so honored that she would do that and, and, and trusting me to even talk to me. She could have talked to anybody else, but she chooses to talk to me. And I still remember that to this day. So when I say that there's not enough gatehouses in Canada, that's exactly what I mean. There's still not. 
there, there yeah. should be more. There should be one all across where people can go one and get day. help for you and I. One day. One day when we win the lottery, we will build a bunch of gatehouses across the country. Yeah. I was telling someone last night that I want to build a town. And they were like, why? And I was like, I want to buy an old town, build it up, start a cannabis farm, outlaw liquor, like no liquor left in, in town whatsoever, yeah. but anybody yeah. can smoke as much weed as they want. And I want to build it up so that like people can come and learn how to run a pharmacy, learn how to run a bank, learn how to run a grocery store, turn around and buy those stores from me and have their own business and buy their own home. And she's like, that's brilliant. And I'm like, yes, I only need $4.5 billion to make it happen. Yeah. <laughs> so one day. Anyways, thank you so much. This has been Comfortably Uncomfortable Conversations with your host, Devin J. Hall. You can find Stuart Thompson at thegatehouse.org or on Twitter. What's your um what's your Twitter at? Uh got to get out of. Got to get out of Unforgiven. Yeah. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at Devin J. Hall or on Facebook at Original LMBG. Thank you so much for tuning in.